Good morning, good afternoon, welcome to Soul City Church. Uh, yeah, we're here to get the story right today and to be present this Christmas. You're here on a great Sunday. We are kicking off a brand new teaching series. I love when we do this. Uh, we kind of teach in blocks and, and so usually every month or so we'll start a new one or once I run out of stuff to say on the old one. And so we thought it'd be good for us to talk about how do we make the most of this wonderful time of the year? How do we truly be present with God and with others? And I want to offer you a gift Today, I'm going to do something a little different in my teaching uh, to maybe reorient you around the story that's at the heart of Christmas and potentially maybe even recalibrate your Christmas for you. If your Christmas has already gotten off the rails, which is easy to do, we want to help you get on the right track so that you can really experience it. And at the end, I'm going to offer uh, some our team has put together for our whole church to be present with God together all throughout our lives, all throughout the city. It's a really fun little thing that we get to do together. But before we get to the message part, I want to let you know about something that affects all of us. I wouldn't tell you if it didn't affect all of us, but something really exciting that's happening uh, and is coming in just a few short weeks. If you look around uh, right now in this room, you can see that we're out of room. If you're in our overflow room, you know that we're out of room because you're in our overflow room. We have had for the last couple weeks uh, overflows for our overflow space. We have a problem and the problem is this, it's you. You keep, you keep bringing people to church and you keep inviting people to hear about the transformational love of Jesus. And we would love to tell you to stop, but I don't think you would. So what we thought we could do instead is to make as much room as possible for as many people to hear about the transformational love of Jesus as we can, to be a church that's committed to growing deep and wide that people really grow up in their relationship with God and that we provide that opportunity for as many people as possible. So I wanna let you know about how we're gonna do that starting specifically January 10th. On January 10th, we're actually gonna be adding a fourth gathering here on Sundays. And so everybody gets brand new gathering times on Sunday. We thought everyone should just share in this delight. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have brand new gathering times. You can see them on the screen. I want you to actually say them out loud with me so that you can see them. First gathering time is? Peace. Say that one again. Peace. Yep, some of you who come to this service don't know that there's other hours before <laughs> that happens, but other people do. Uh, 8 a.m., what's the next one? 9.30. Then? 11. Then? 12.30. So these are four gatherings all at different times, and the reason we're telling you this now is so that you can begin to plan, and as you're inviting folks to uh, come with you to church, as we found in January, a lot of folks tend to make a little list sometime at the end of the year and God tends to be on it and they come back to church or to church for the first time, we want to make, we want to make room for them. And so we're offering these four gathering times for you to consider kind of where that's going to best fit for you and your season of life and the folks that you're invited. But we want you to know about this now because if you don't kind of get this into your head, you're going to be either really late or really early to church for a couple weeks. And we don't want you to miss anything. And then the last little word I want to say on this is um, that for us to, uh, you know, sort of make and create seats for other people, because that's really what this is about. We want to make as much room for people to experience, to find and follow Jesus as possible. But for us to create more seats. It means that more of us need to get out of our seats and get involved. And the cool thing is this, and it's really, this is not a, like a guilt thing or a sales pitch thing. Someone already has done that for you. The reason you have a seat or the reason you're in overflow right now is because someone said, I want to make some room for some more folks. Aren't you glad they did? Aren't you glad they did? And so for us to create seats, it's an invitation for us to get up out of our seats and get involved. Lots of different ways we can do that. And so what I want to let you know is right after our gathering time today, there's a little thing called Next. 
And it's just a couple minutes. It meets over in the corner classroom. And uh, you, you can go to Next. And if you have kids up in Soul City Kids, they'll keep loving on your kids while you go to Next. But Next is a way for you to get involved, for you to hear about the story of what God's doing here and to get involved. And I just want to encourage you. I think this is not only an opportunity for us to make more room, but for us, some of us, to kind of get more involved. Because here's the deal. You're probably going to make a list of things that you want to be true about you in 2016. And my hunch is one of them is going to be volunteer more. So we're helping you cross one off before you even write it down. So if you go to Next right afterwards, that can help you get involved and be a part of what God's doing here as we make more room for more folks to hear about Jesus. All right, I love this time of year, and I, I am a sucker for Christmas. Uh, I love the stories. I love the songs. I love the movies. I love the shows. I love it all until the point that I hate it. And maybe you can relate. Like, it's all wonderful in the beginning, and then it gets all too overwhelming after a while because there's, so, there's only so much you can take. There's only so many stories. There's only so many movies. There's only so many songs that you can hear. And if I'm honest, lots of times all the stories about, about Christmas can get a little overwhelming and they can actually detract and even distract me from the real story that's at the heart of Christmas. Because there's so many Christmas stories. I mean, th think of another holiday that has as much tradition wrapped up in it as Christmas. Can you think of it? Like how many Arbor Day songs do you sing? Like, when is, the last, I mean, when is the last time you watched a movie about Casimir Pulaski? Any true Chicagoans here? More than 10 years living in the city? You know who Casimir Pulaski is. If you don't, just Google it, but good luck spelling it. Uh, so this is a very special holiday for us. There's a lot of stories wrapped up in and around this holiday. I mean, just think about some of the mainstay stories. You got Santa, right? You got Rudolph. It's a Wonderful Life. It's another great one. I think one of the greatest stories of all time at Christmas is Elf. I mean, you got a lot of, uh, the, then there's the, uh, Jesus, there's that one, because that's what happens is it gets lost in the shuffle of all the other stories. So to prove my point, here's what I want you to do. For the next 30 seconds, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to see how many Christmas stories you can come up with. All right, so kind of huddle up with some folks around you. How many stories, so either based on songs, based on books, based on movies, how many like stories around Christmas can you create in 30 seconds? So again, it's not a competition, but it's totally a competition. So turn to the person next to you and you have 30 seconds on the clock. See how many Christmas stories you can come up with. everyone getting a trophy, uh, how many of you got at least one? Yay, everyone's a winner. That's awesome. I mean, I gave you five for Pete's sake at the beginning. All right, how many of you got five or more? All right, good job. Christmas aficionados, 10 or more. Put your hands up and put them up proudly. Impressive. 15 or more? Holy cow. Let me just say a quick word to those of you. Uh, you need to turn off the Hallmark channel. <laughs> I love you. It's it. Yeah, go outside. No, I'm just, I'm just giving, I'm giving, giving you a hard time. Because awesome, you, 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 look, you probably grew up with those stories and the traditions, and we, we love them. I love the stories and traditions of Christmas, but look, haven't you found it to be true that so oftentimes you can get a little overwhelmed by it all? 
And there's not only all the stories and traditions and songs that we know about, there's actually other stories that are going on, especially this time of year that you may be unaware of. These are more subtle, below the surface, kind of soul level stories that we buy into and believe and live out with our lives. There's the story of consumerism. That's a narrative, by the way, that you have to have the stuff. And we believe it. And we go all out after that story, right? And that can create all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of fear, all kinds of scarcity, all kinds of pressure to get the perfect present. Consumerism is a story that for some of us, that's kind of what's taken the wheel of your Christmas this Christmas. For others, it's busyness. There's a story around busyness. That's a narrative that it just has to be this way. And so you feel overwhelmed and overrun and it's, you know, this office party and this obligation and this thing I have to do. And so you can feel so busy that you miss actually what this is all about. There's a story of loneliness and loss that may be your story this Christmas, maybe for the first time ever, or maybe it's yet another Christmas where you feel like you're just living out the story of loneliness. And for you, Christmas is just another reminder of who's not around the tree. And maybe it's someone you've hoped for and prayed for and waited for for as long as you can remember. Or maybe it's someone you had up until recently and now they're gone, and this is your first Christmas without them. That story can feel overwhelming, can't it? There's also the story of, uh, in our culture right now, there's a story of fear. It seems like you can't turn on the news without being fed that narrative, that story. There's a story of fear, of violence in our world right now. I mean, you can look all the way around the world and catch a story. It seems like every week there's another story. Look across the country to San Bernardino this last week. Look right here into our own city and we see it unfold on the daily. A story of fear, of erosion of trust, of violence. So as we choose and, 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 and willingly commit and willfully commit to be present with God this Christmas, I think we have to honestly start with where we're at and ask ourselves the question, what story are you living this Christmas? If you had to be really honest, like what's your story? This Christmas, what are you believing? What's kind of the narrative that you are playing out through your choices, your decisions, your disposition around Christmas? What story are you living out? Because it, it, it's going to affect the way that you walk through this season. I know for me right now, the story that I'm living out is a lot of outward effort without a lot of inward reflection. In my industry, like Christmas time is game time. Like, we got a lot of folks that want to come to church, right? And so, and, and so we work really hard as a church. I mean, the, the stuff, did you see the lobby? Hello? It's amazing. Our artists are amazing. So we work really hard to create engaging environments for people to experience the transformation of love of Jesus. I worked really hard on this sermon. I worked really hard to put out a lot of stuff about Christmas. And in the process of so doing, I had to come to my own confession and go, what am I, like, reflecting on about this story? Is this story even for me? Because we do, a great, you know, I think a great job in our house of helping our kids get the story. Outward effort, outward effort. You know, our kids know when they, like they have a drill when they get up in the morning. They run downstairs, look for where the elf is on the shelf and find that. And then they go to their little Advent thing that we've created for our family where they, there's a scripture that they read, a little, little trinket, you know, that we got them from Target. And then they go to the book where you have to open up and open the, the doors and inside the door is a verse to read. Like we got them on lock when it comes to Christmas, right? We're working hard to make that happen, but am I stopping? Am I reading? Am I engaging? A lot of outward effort, not a lot of inward reflection. That's the story that I'm walking into. Do you think maybe God has a better story for me this Christmas? 
do you think maybe he has a better story for you as well? So that's why I want to take just the next few moments to do something that I haven't uh, really done like this before in my teaching here at Soul City. I want, to, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you really honestly the greatest story that's ever been told. And no matter what your story is, I believe this story will find you today and reorient and recalibrate and reignite your connection to, your presence with God this Christmas so that you don't have to go another year and miss it. So I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got you covered. There should be a gray Bible in your seat back right in front of you. You turn to page 715 in the gray Bible. Luke chapter 2. Now here's the deal. I want you to turn there. I want you to open it. And we're not going to read it. And here's why. I want you to have the source text open to know where the story comes from that I'm about to uh, walk us through. And not only that, we'll put it up on the screen for you as well. So you are going to be inundated with this story. This text comes mostly, pulled mostly from Luke chapter 2. And my hunch is you're familiar with the highlights of the story of the birth of Jesus. You, you probably know at least, you know, the broad strokes of the birth of Jesus. Virgin, Bethlehem, shepherds, uh, drummer boy, uh, three kings. <laughs> See, that always happens. We end up like throwing more characters in into the songs that weren't actually there in the birth account. The wise men and the drummer boy. There is no drummer boy. I just, can I burst your bubble? There is no drummer boy that we know of, except for in the songs. But we've added it to the story along the way. And in so doing, what we've done is sort of given like a fairy tale wrapping paper to the story of Christmas. But the, the realities we're about to see here in a moment is the, the story of God coming to be with us through Jesus is as gritty as it is pretty. And there's parts about this story that they don't write songs about. But it's important for us to know the story if we're going to be present with Jesus this Christmas. This story at times feels more real world than it does feel good. More human and yet somehow still more divine. What's so easy to miss at the start of the story of the birth of Jesus is that the good news of God coming to earth was not actually received as good at first. The news was as unplanned as it was unexpected for Mary and Joseph and their family and their friends because their life, quite honestly, was simple, uncomplicated, and rather boring. They lived in Mary's hometown that she'd grown up in. Joseph's work wasn't lucrative, but it was steady and stable. It was predictable. But they could have never predicted what was about to happen next in their story. Now, Mary was already intuitively sort of aware that something spiritual was in the air. After years and years of infertility, her older cousin Elizabeth was suddenly pregnant. But that's not the whole story. In hushed tones behind locked doors, Elizabeth confided to Mary that an angel of the Lord had visited her husband, Zechariah. Now, this is an incredible little subplot in the story of the birth of Jesus. And here's why. Because up until that little divine interaction between the angel and Zechariah, God had not spoken for over 400 years. The last time God spoke to the people of God was through the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi. And after Malachi gave his last prophecy, God went silent. All of it building up a sort of anticipation for the moment that was to come. And that silence was broken when an angel spoke to Zechariah. And so Mary's heart began to ponder 
all of the prophecies that she grew up studying that she had heard recited in her home suddenly came rushing back to her, but they weren't just finding their way to her head. They were actually finding their home in her heart. It's as though all of these prophecies were now somehow personal, that they actually were for her, and then it happened to her. There she was alone in her room thumbing through that month's copy of Hebrew Teen Bride magazine. <laughs> it's in the Bible. When he appeared, beautiful and, and, and terrifying all at the same time. She'd never seen anyone or, or anything like it, like this angel. And then the angel spoke. And he spoke to her by name. And he told her to not be afraid too late. He said that she was special to God and that God was with her, that the God of the universe was with her. Any doubt still lingering from Elizabeth's confession of Zachariah's encounter with an angel suddenly was washed away in the presence of this heavenly visitor. He said that she too would become pregnant and that the good news was her son's name was already chosen for her. His name was to be Jesus. Not, not Jason. The one that all the prophecies had promised, the one that all of heaven celebrated, the one that a weary world had been waiting for for hundreds and thousands of years. Now Mary was now suddenly feeling a surge of uh, confidence in the angel's presence. And so she asked the angel how this was even possible. She didn't know, like if angels knew about the birds and bees or where babies came from. And so she was ready to explain to the angel that it just simply was not possible for her to be pregnant when the angel told her that God would make it possible. If God could make her elderly cousin Elizabeth, who had been unable to have a child her entire life, suddenly pregnant, then God can certainly cause a teenager who'd never been with a man before to become pregnant. And that's exactly what happened. See, this is where the fairy tale turns a little bit more reality show, just so you know. It's a little bit more like Maury at this moment. <laughs> While Mary was quick to trust God, her fiancé, Joseph, was not as inclined. This is not because he lacked faith. I want to be really clear. It's not because he lacked faith, but it's because he had placed his faith in the law. He was very faithful to keeping the law and the law implied that if a woman was unfaithful to her fiancé, then the marriage could be and in fact must be called off. That the husband was still entitled to the dowry that her father had promised him. And that he would in fact be regarded as a righteous man for calling off the wedding. He would be fine. She, however, would not be. The unfaithful fiancé would be scorned, would be ridiculed an outcast unwelcome in her own home, in her own community, and in the case of pregnancy from infidelity, the baby's lot would be far, far worse. And while Joseph was faithful to the law, he also loved Mary very much. And so he determined that the right thing to do would be to divorce her quickly and quietly and spare her from as much spectacle as possible. Okay, so just... Like, just hit pause. This is the story of the birth of the Savior of the world. And just look at where it's headed. Mary, teenager, never been with a man before, is now pregnant with the Savior of the world, NBD. And not only is that happening, 
Joseph, her husband, who's also just so you know, been visited, about to be visited by an angel here. Like they're all like having angelic interactions. He is in fact about to divorce her. And so what God does is what he did with Zechariah, what he did with Mary, God sends an angelic sort of intercessor to keep Joseph from hijacking God's heavenly plan. So just try and consider the, the weight for a moment of all the, the, the whispers and the understandable accusations that were being hurled at Mary in this moment. Just try and sit with that for a moment. Pregnant, unmarried. And just think about the fact, just live with this for a second. The angel that visited her, the angel that visited Joseph, did not visit everyone in their family. Did not visit the whole entire community to fill them in on God's grand plan. And also consider this. The more and more you try and tell people that you talk to angels crazier you sound. So you have to imagine what it must have been like for them. So Mary and Joseph decided to move up their wedding date and to kind of forego all the plans that they had made. Typically weddings in their culture and their time were filled with a week-long celebration of feasts and little festivals and fanfare. All that would be scrapped. And to those unaware of God's big plan, their wedding must have felt like a funeral because it was the death of a dream that they'd had for these two. This was so much more than they had ever dreamed of, but far more than they could have ever imagined. And as if that wasn't all enough, their intolerable isolation was broken by an inconvenience yet again. The ruler of the occupying power of the day, the Roman Empire, greatest empire at that point in human history, the ruler of that empire decided that it was time for a census, he wanted to have a census, an accounting of everyone in the empire, because, you know, everyone loves a census. And so he decides to throw a census, and this census actually forced a very pregnant Mary and her newlywed husband to travel back to his hometown of Bethlehem. So, like, now they have to scrap their honeymoon plans. I mean, there goes the all-inclusive trip to Cancun. Now they're going to Bethlehem. for their honeymoon. And not only that, you have to imagine this. This required an 80-mile journey for them on a donkey, nine months pregnant. Listen, when Jeannie was nine months pregnant, she couldn't even handle the five-minute ride to (laughs) Chick-fil-A for chicken strips, large fries, and a chocolate shake, and then whatever she wanted. Like, I mean, you, you know. So imagine a week-long journey, nine months pregnant on a donkey to a town where you had no connections, no relations, no reservations. Now, I know you know this part of the story. There was nowhere for them to stay, nowhere for them to go, 80 miles away from home and from family and friends who still questioned her pregnancy. No matter how much we try and paint these two as saints, walk for a moment in their sandals. And consider how trying and difficult this must have been for Mary and Joseph. Consider the weight that their lives were under. And consider the fact that this is how their marriage starts. And in a final act of desperation, once they finally got to Bethlehem, Joseph talks someone into opening up their garage, pushing some of the mess aside, and letting them stay there for the night. And the stranger's garage would actually become the birthplace of the Savior of the world. 
this obscure place you can't even find on Google Maps, would be the birthplace of a savior of the world. No doctor, no doula, no privacy, no epidural, just them. And it was into this that Jesus was born, that his story began. Surrounding them in this garage, you have to know the reality of the story. It was cold. There was blood, screaming, animals, animals, hay, dung. If you ever wonder for a moment if God can handle the crap in your life, be encouraged and be reminded that's where Jesus' story starts. That's where his story starts. So yes, he is familiar, and yes, he cares and he understands. But in the midst of this holy moment, it was about to get not so silent and a lot rowdier. Because before Mary could even get her new baby to learn to latch, it's for all my moms out there. You know what I'm talking about. That's gross. We just talked about latching in church, huh, Judy? No, that's the last time. All right, good. It's the last time. Before she even had that connection with Jesus, a group of strangers came stumbling in to the garage. These are shepherds, to be precise. And they were, in fact, the social outcasts of their day. These are folks who lived on the margin of society, and in some reasons for like good reasons, because they you know, spent their day talking to animals. And so people did not have a place for shepherds in their culture. But interestingly enough, just like an angel had appeared to Zechariah, just like an angel had appeared to Mary, just like an angel had appeared to Joseph, an army of angels, a choir of angels, appears to this handful of social outcasts watching their sheep at night. And they told them about the birth of the Savior of the world. Now again, if you wonder if God still speaks, or more to the point, if he has anything for you. The God who talks to people who talks to animals <laughs> has something for you, is speaking to you, and longs for you to hear from him. And here they did, and they responded, and they got up immediately, and they ran to visit Mary and Joseph, and after seeing the baby and having a quick visit with that vulnerable Savior, the shepherds took a cue from the angels and began to proclaim to everyone around them what had happened. Anyone who happened to be awake or whom they happened to wake up with all their yelling and praising heard the story of the long-awaited Savior who had come to the world, to their hometown, to be precise, who had come to save all and to bring death to sin once and for all. And they ran out in the countryside telling the story of the birth of the Savior of the world. Now, this is the story that Jesus is born into. This is the story that God wrote. It's hard to find a more obscure and seemingly insignificant birth than that of Jesus. It's almost like God is wanting you to know that no matter how insignificant or low or disconnected or out of sorts your story may seem or feel to you, he has already been there. He started there. He entered into this world in the lowliest of ways so that he can find you wherever your story may have led you. 
And that's why I think knowing and living and reflecting on this story, why keeping this story at the center of it all is so important. In light of all the other stories that surround Christmas, if you lose the story of Christmas, you will lose the glory of Christmas. If we lose, if I lose, if I'm all output and no reflection, if we're all writing a story of busyness, if we're all distracted and we lose the story of Christmas, you will lose the glory of Christmas, the wonder of Christmas, that against unbelievable, impossible odds, God sends his son into this world, born as a baby, to save us from our sins. That is an unbelievable story filled with hope and glory. And I don't know about you, but I feel like our world right now needs a better story. We need a better story. You just turn on the news and you see we need a better story. Our city needs a better story than the one that we're playing out right now. You can look around the world through what happened in Paris. You can look across the country to this last week, what happened in San Bernardino. You can look right here into our city and you're reminded of the presence of violence, the appalling abuse of power, the systematic racism that we tell ourselves doesn't exist in our city, the neglect of elected officials to actually care for the people who put them into office. And all we have to say is, well, that's Chicago. The violence that exists in our streets the unbelievable odds that so many kids have of getting out. When you think about the story that we see all around us, where we live in a city where it takes dash cam videos to wake us up, we need a better story. Desperately. We need a better story. We need to be reminded that the story of Jesus is a story of a baby born into a world, listen to me, just as broken as the one we live in today. See, because doesn't it feel at times like the world's the worst it's ever been? You ever felt that way? It's like, it's, this is the worst it's ever been. It's never been any worse. That's because this is the only time in history that you've ever lived. <laughs> you have a very limited perspective, <laughs> as do I. Guess what? The world's always been a broken place and always desperately in need of a savior. It may feel worse to you in this time. I can take you to other places in the world where it feels a lot worse than it does in our place right now in the city. Jesus was born into a world just as broken as ours. Listen, Jesus was born into a people group that were already being occupied by the greatest empire at that point in human history. So there's already a system of oppression in place that he's born into and a history of oppression for his people. He's born into a world where there was not only that sort of systemic racism and prejudice, but there was also class systems among the religion of the day. That Judaism had devolved into sort of this religious preferential prejudicial system where there was those who were in and those who were out, those who were good enough and the rest of us who weren't. This is what Jesus was born into. He was born, look, in a barn. He knows poverty. He knows simplicity. In fact, the Bible tells us never ever did he have his own home, a place to lay his head. And so this is someone who's familiar with the story of poverty. He was born into a world very familiar with the story of violence. There's just as much violence 
unspeakable acts in Jesus' day as there is in our day today. In fact, did you know this, that just two years after Jesus was born, the local ruling king, King Herod, was so threatened by the story of Jesus, the story of this baby who would one day be king, so threatened was King Herod that he ordered all across his kingdom, every baby boy two years and younger would be murdered. And Jesus had to escape with his family down to Egypt and spent years living in the obscurity of a foreign country. So he's familiar with violence, suffered it, in fact, himself on the cross. So I have to be reminded as I look at our story and I desperately call out for a better story from God that Jesus is familiar with this story. And in fact, he didn't wait for everything to be picture perfect when he entered into the world. He didn't wait sort of for us to figure it all out and get our stuff together before he came into our story. In fact, he doesn't do that with you either. He enters right into the mess, right into the brokenness and brings his hope and glory and he brings a better story. He brings, in fact, a bigger story. This is why, actually, a weary world rejoices because the light of God deliberately stepped into the great darkness of this world. That the hope of God stepped into our great despair. That the healing of God stepped into our wounds, our pain, our struggle to not only bring us a better story, but to bring us a bigger story, a much bigger story than we see just on the pages of the account of Jesus' birth. See, Jesus would be the first to tell you that while it's important and significant to celebrate this story, and while it's great that we have our songs and our traditions, I mean, we're gonna sing one of those songs in a moment. While all of that is important, Jesus would tell you, that's not the end of the story, though. That's just the beginning. Because it would be Jesus who would grow up and go on and know that the purpose for his birth would ultimately be his death and resurrection that there was a bigger story, in fact, that God was writing, that Christmas and Easter are intrinsically connected. It's a bigger story. The birth that led to the life, that led to the death, that led to the resurrection, that leads to life for every single one of us. See, that's why we celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, because it reminds us of the bigger story that was unfolding. A story simply put that Jesus came to be with us so that he could actually die for us. That's the story. He came to be with us so that he could die for us. He came to be with us against unbelievable odds born into the brokenness of our everyday world so that he could die for us, atoning pain for our sin, my sin, your sin through his death and resurrection. That was the plan all along. That his birth was a part of a bigger story that you and I are actually invited into. To be a part of the redemptive story of Jesus. And because Jesus knows us so well, he had a moment towards the end of his life where he wanted to make sure that we got what the story was all about. That we didn't lose the story in the midst of all of our other stories. And so just hours before he was arrested, ultimately led to the cross, which was God's plan all along. He gathered his followers and friends together around a table. And he's like, okay, I need, they need to know. 
that I came to be with so that I could die for. I came to be with so that I could die for. So he's like, I'll use props. I'll use whatever I have to do to help them remember. So he takes bread and he breaks it. The bread of life breaks open bread and says, this is your reminder of my body that I came to be with you. Physically, tangibly real. I came to be with you. And my body was literally physically broken. Every time you see this bread, let it be a reminder that the Son of God, the bread of life, came to be with you. And we see and celebrate that at Christmas time. And then Jesus says, that's not all. He took a cup. He said, this cup is to remind you of my blood. It's the only perfect, sinless blood to ever flow through human veins. And I will pour it out for the covering of, the redemption of, the forgiveness of every sin of every person throughout all of human history. This is your reminder that I came for you. The bread reminds us that he came to be with us. The cup reminds us that he died for us so that we could have a bigger, better story in him. And so that we don't forget, and so that we don't go through this Christmas missing the bigger story, we wanted to take a moment together as a church today and do as Jesus actually invited us to do, to remember, to stop and to remember. So we've gathered those same exact elements, the bread and the cup. And in a moment, I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, you are invited to come to the table. There's tables right up here in the front. There's just as many tables in the back. There's tables in our overflow spaces as well. And you can take a piece of our gluten-free bread. You dip it right in the cup, and that reminds you of two things, the body and the blood of Christ, the bread and the cup, with and for. And I wanna invite you as you come to the table to maybe do something a little different. I want to invite you as you come to the table in these next few moments to bring your story with you. What's the story you're living this Christmas? Maybe what you need to bring is, Jesus, I, I am living in a story of addiction and all I keep doing is spinning the plates and perpetuating this thing and I've gotten really good at it, but it's killing me. And I want, I want to be, I want to have a better and a bigger story than that. Or maybe for you, it's the story of fear or of scarcity. There's just not enough or you're just not enough. And so you need to be reminded that Jesus actually came for you. He actually came for you. And he saw something in you that maybe you don't see in yourself worth saving. Or maybe your story is one of loss or loneliness and you just need to name it. This Christmas just feels like it's incomplete and I just wanna name that story to you, Jesus, and come and receive these elements and allow them to be your invitation into a bigger and better story, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the hope and glory of Christmas, life and salvation for every one of us. So I'm going to pray for us, and to do that, I'm going to ask you to stand, and when I say amen, that is your cue to come to the table over the course of the song we're going to close with today. Bring your story to the table and receive the body and the blood with and for of Jesus. So let me pray for us right now as we do. Jesus, this actually is a holy and sacred moment and so we don't take it lightly. We thank you for the invitation that you invited us to come. We thank you that you came first to us to be with us. You know our story. You are familiar with it. You care about us so much so that you died for us. You gave your life for us so that we could actually live in you. And so thank you for that. May this bread and this cup, this 
reminder to us of the bigger and better story that you invite us into. And I pray over this time that we would see and experience you in a fresh way and that you would help put the real story of Christmas back at the center of our hearts and lives and that we would be different because of it. So thank you, Jesus, our Emmanuel, our King of Kings, our wonderful counselor, our everlasting Father, our Noel. We come to you, cry out to you, and bring ourselves to you in this moment. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And so I invite you to come to the front, the back, and the overflow spaces as well.